Bandwidth for Change Log is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. I'm Steve Francia, and it's go time. It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Go Time. Today's episode is number 38, and our sponsors for today are Backtrace and the Ultimate Go Training Series. Today on the show, we have myself, Eric St. Martin. Carlicia Pinto is also on the show. Say hello, Carlicia. Hi, everybody. And standing in for Brian today, we have Johnny Borsico. Hey, gang. And our special guest today is a longtime member of the Go community and uh, has a number of well-known projects that I'm pretty sure all of us have used. but recently became the community manager for the Go team. Please welcome Steve Francia. Hey. So uh, how's things in the Go community management world? Do you want to talk to us a little bit about, well, actually give everybody a little bit of a background on yourself first for anybody who may not be familiar with you already. And tell us your correct title, because I don't think that's it. Uh, it that is not my correct title. Oh. Um, so what we can start there. Um, <laughs> my correct title isn't all that accurate either. But um, I'm I'm the Go team technical program manager, uh, with an emphasis on on the external usage of Go. But it's it's really an interesting role that does have community management as a part of it. Um, it's also a good element of it is product management, and largely I'm working uh, to be a voice for the Go users to the Go team and and help uh, strategically align the Go project. Uh, in a in a scalable way that uh, meets the needs of all of its users. So this is from the perspective of people outside of Google itself and their usage of Go and their needs, as opposed to kind of like internal. It's uh, it's it's all purpose, but it's not specific to Google's needs. So I, I treat Google like every other company that uses Go. Um, we definitely are, are listening to their needs, and and but I'm I'm not focused on those needs any more than I am, you know, any company that that uses Go. So, do you have a, a counterpart inside of uh, Google who is sort of focused on what Google needs from from Go, or is that, how does that, how does that strategy work out? So there's a there's another product manager that's focused on cloud usage, and he he does both internal but primarily external usage and there's uh i don't know if we have yet but we're looking into bringing on someone similar to work with internal users and uh understand them a little better but for for the last few months i've been kind of juggling both and uh you know not not well i i have to prioritize all users versus just one set now, I remember when when you first joined in this capacity at Google, one of the very first things you were involved in was sort of a the whole dependency management conversation. Yeah. 
is that, is that something that you're sort of uh, um, pushing internally or did you just sort of bring it in as something to, so to be addressed and then move on to other things? How does that relationship between the community and you sort of advocating on our behalf to Google, how does that, how does that work typically? So, uh, you know, as someone, we didn't really go into my background yet, um, so I'll speak briefly to it because it's, it's a good introduction to this topic. Um, prior to joining Google and, and the Go team at Google, uh, I ran engineering and open source at Docker. Um, and before that, I, I ran engineering and led open source and the developer experience uh, at MongoDB. Uh, at Mongo, I first discovered Go. We adopted it for a number of our projects there. And I personally uh, fell in love with the language and started working on some side projects, some of which have grown uh, far larger than I ever would have expected them to. Hugo uh, is one of them. Uh, it's a website generator. And as part of Hugo, uh, when, when I sat down to write it, I knew how I wanted it to work, but there was libraries that I, I needed to, to create it. Uh, that didn't exist yet. And so I wrote a number of libraries in, in tandem with Hugo. One of them is called Cobra, another is called Viper. And uh, those have really been broadly adopted through the Go community. So I came in from having a unique perspective of using Go both for personal side projects as well as in a, in a company environment. And having had those experiences, I, I was pretty familiar with some of the pains uh, and I'll call it rough edges, um, and dependency management was one. Um, and, and I highlighted that one with the team. It, it wasn't something the team wasn't already aware of. You know, the, the team does, uh, you know, listen to the, the users and, and tries to understand. Um, one of the challenges is, is that, you know, the team works inside the Google infrastructure and so dependency management was something that they didn't have their own intimate familiarity with in the same way that the users experience it. I think also in addition to that, though, there's also a distinction for like whose responsibility is it, right? Is dependency management part of the language or not, right? Right. Yeah, so it's th through a series of conversations, we, we've tried a couple different things. One was we formed a working group, um, and, and I was closely part of this. Uh, Peter version really drove this effort. And to, to kind of address this, um, the need, and, and it was a combination of people from the community and, and the Go team working together on it. Um, we've also, through, through that, we've done a lot of diligence, um, had lots of conversations with different users trying to understand those needs. We're working on a prototype which has been released. And we're also looking at, uh, I, I think we're, we're coming to the conclusion that for it to really work, it, it needs to be something that the Go tooling is aware of. And, you know, the key to the, I'm not sure what conversation or experience got, arrived at that, but that was a critical thing for us to understand um, because all the efforts by the community can only go so far uh, without the Go leadership understanding the need and realizing that it's something that to really be successful, we need to make all of the tooling aware of, um, they could never bridge that gap. And so getting, getting that understanding to the team was a critical milestone in this. There's still a long road ahead to, to delivering the right solution, and, uh, the, but the work that the working group is doing 
is, is a huge first step towards that. And just to get that straight, Peter Burgon was leading the design and the specs, and Samboria is leading the implementation. Is that right? Uh, I, I wouldn't frame it that way. I think Peter's leading the effort. Peter is is the one who really got the group together and um, ensured that they had meetings regularly and kind of set up the schedule. I'd call him more like a project lead. Um, and there, there's four people on, on the working group. And I don't know if, uh, I, I think Sam is definitely one of the active people in that, but there's four of them. I, I think they're all contributing quite a bit. I'm, I'm not sure if one of them is the lead of it uh, over another. Yeah. But I, I know they all meet regularly and, and are building stuff together. Yeah, we had him talking to us, uh, what, two episodes ago, I think? Yeah, I think it was two episodes back. But yeah, I think Sam focused on the packaging solver, kind of like the dependencies. Yeah, Sam loves GPS and, and that problem. He's really spent a lot of time on it, so it makes sense that he'd be focused on it. And I don't want to leave a question unanswered. Corey Lano was asking, what, who is the person on the Google Cloud side that's doing the work of advocacy? I think that must be Francesc Compoy. Yeah, Francesc is, uh, is the advocate uh, for, for all of Go and, and Google Cloud as well. Got it. So recently, this was, I think, just a couple of days ago, you had published um, the uh, survey from 2016 on the Go blog. I'd love to chat a little bit about that and kind of uh, maybe some of the things that surprised you, some of the things that you're, you're proud about, things that you, you want to work on in the future based on what you observed from this. Yeah, so th for those who aren't familiar, we, the Go team has never done a survey of this kind before. Um, and it was a, a pretty massive undertaking. Uh, and to be honest, I've never done a survey of this kind before either. But I recognize that uh, there was definitely a need to to get uh, data from our users and to listen to them and, and to collect as much information as we could. So we set out to create a survey and to, uh, to get uh, our users' voices heard. And, and we did. And we, we went through and we, we created a survey, refined it through user testing and, and sent it to the community. And we had a phenomenal response. Uh, over 3,500 people responded to the survey. And we gained lots of insights uh, into the different ways that we can address the needs of the Go community. I, I will say a lot of the things that we learned were confirmations of things that we had already suspected. But by doing a survey, it gave us great metrics around knowing, okay, we, we know this is a problem for some users. Now we know this is a problem for 30% of users, right? Where before it was somewhat speculative how big of a problem different things were. Uh, so a, a lot of things were reinforcement, but also giving a lot more accuracy into the extent of some of the challenges that we had. And then, of course, there were some new new things that surprised. Uh, I, I won't say I won't speak for the whole Go, Go team, but there were definitely things in, in here that surprised me when, when I saw them. So I think the other thing that the, doing the survey and having the metrics works well for is being able to to basically timeline it out and to look next year and see how much you've grown and uh, solve some of these problems and things. Prior to that, like you said, it's all been speculation. Um, I, I think one of the you know, great things here is we do establish a baseline and we're able to see progress um, and how the community and user base evolves over time. Yeah, one of the things I was surprised to see was um, 
more than half of the participants said that they use Go at work. And, you know, we can only speculate about a couple of years ago, but I'd have to venture a guess that, you know, there were, there were a few big companies using Go, you know, 2013, 2014, but I'd say most people were probably hobbyists back then. It certainly wasn't half. Yeah, I mean, if we if we go back, um, you know, it depends how far we go back, but there's certainly a point, um, probably around the first GopherCon, when um, it was clear that Go was uh, of interest to a large group of people, and uh, yet it had not caught on as much, or, or the adoption wasn't quite there. Uh, and that's a normal growth curve of any technology, is companies won't adopt something if there's not people that can do it, that know how to use it. You know, so it really has to start with uh, people's interest, and uh, we were we were fortunate. I, I guess we were all fortunate that Go developed uh, interest, and as we've seen it progress, uh, companies are adopting Go, and more and more readily, and so more and more users are being paid to write Go. What do you think the developer pool looks like right now? Like, obviously, you, you can only speculate there, but do you think that people have a hard time finding Go developers right now? So I think I think there's a, a number of different uh, uh, factors to this. Uh, the, the first one is Go is actually a really easy language to learn and to pick up, and especially to read. And then this makes it so that a lot of companies uh, aren't looking for Go developers. They're transitioning existing developers to Go. And, and that's a viable option. And, and we're seeing that a lot across a lot of companies. It's also the case that we don't have a great um, marketplace yet to find Go developers, uh, especially ones with experience, because Go is is relatively young. And so, you know, a lot of job requisites say you need to have like five to 10 years Java experience uh, or, or whatever the language is. It's going to be very hard to find a Go developer with five years experience. Uh, there's just not that many out there. Um, as the language is pretty young. And so, you know, it, it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic. Um, I think in time, th- this is one of the things that'll definitely sort itself out. But, you know, it, it's it's a combination of, it's, it's pretty easy to adopt Go. And uh, at the same time, the language being so young, it's hard to find people with many years of experience. This is where I think that obviously the makeup of the community is, is sort of critical as well, because I think in, in my travels to the Go community, I, I find very enthusiastic people right within within the community. They're 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 passionate about the language. They're pa- and beyond that, they're passionate about building a great community, right? So if you're attracting people who not only care about the language, but they also care about sort of bringing everybody else, um, and, you know, basically attracting other people into the community, you're gonna help help solve this sort of supply versus demand problem that obviously the business is going to be looking at right so i think you know we do a lot within the go community sort of uh, whether it's through meetups or through um, community events there's a lot going on to sort of uh, attract people to the community i think that's going to help a lot yeah i i think um you know it's always a chicken and the egg problem here but i I think we've got a great community and really passionate people that that love the language and, you know, yes, a little more than half are using Go at work, which is great, but a uh, slightly higher number, the number of people who are programming Go outside of work. And these are mostly people who, who do it out of passion. And, and I think that just speaks to, 
you know, these are people that love uh, to program and they found a language that they really love using. And, you know, that that's something that is uh, that other people see and they and they catch on. I, I think there's some work that we need to do to make go around the resources, not really changing the language, but better resources and and more support around our new users. But I, I think um, I think there's a lot of the core ingredients there that make Go uh, just a wonderful language uh, for, and people are going to adopt it. And people are already adopting it at, at a pretty brisk pace. And, and I think that's going to continue. So talking about community, there is a lot, so much to talk about community. And there's a lot about community in the survey. But one thing that caught my attention related to community is a question that says, what is the biggest challenge facing the Go project today? And the top answer with, uh, well, 2%, there were many answers to that, but the top answer was community. And I don't know what that could mean. Do you have an idea, Steve? Yeah, so you know, one of the, one of the challenges we have with the survey is uh, it's really easy to present accurate results with multiple choice or, or questions with pre, uh, already determined answers. And questions that had open text box answers uh, it's much harder to uh, present that data. And what we've done here is is a really kind of simple metric. It's just how often uh, a given word appeared. And in the specific question you're talking about, there really wasn't anything that could be gleamed by using that approach. Um, there were just too many words and not enough consistency across them. But it, Reality is, I, I was able to uh, read all of the answers to every question, and um, that there was uh, tens of thousands of comments that people left. And in this specific question, there really wasn't a, a theme that emerged. I don't think there are things that the users really fear uh, as big challenges the Go project faces. Um, I think there was a, a bunch of comments. Uh, that people expressed, and, and a lot of them were, you know, e even comments that said, because of this, we don't really have concerns. So in, in this specific question, that chart is, uh, there's not a lot you can gain from that chart. All right. Yeah. Because I mean, basically, if I said, you know, the community needs to come to a consensus on dependency management, right? Dependency management is actually the thing that should be bumped up, not the word community, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, a, a good example of a question where this this did work well is when we asked people about uh, what would improve the Go documentation, and overwhelmingly, the the most common word was example. Examples. And yeah. in reading through the you know hundreds of responses that we got to that, um, it was very clearly the case that users want more examples. And so, you know, with, with that chart, popular word did demonstrate pretty well what people expressed. Yeah. Along those lines, do you think that uh, the survey sort of tried to also gauge, okay, what other languages are people coming from, right, that are sort of adopting Go? I, I'd be interested in your take of whether Go itself is seen as an elitist language, right? Like that it attracts a certain kind of developer or a certain kind of individual with previous experience in other programming languages, be it dynamic or static. But do you think that Go is a good language for beginners, like people who've never programmed before? And 
Like, do, do you think there are things that we can do to sort of attract the brand new to programming kind of folks to the language of the community? Um, yeah, so there, there was, I heard a few different questions in there, um, and I'll try and address each of them. For me, one of the big surprises from the survey was uh, often I think of Go, and I think most of us do, as uh, a language that people convert to from a different language. Um, mostly, you know, because Go is such a new language, most people already learned another language and they're coming to Go. And they bring with them, you know, just like learning any new language, you, you kind of bring with you your foundation. And I think what, one of the interesting things that we, I learned from the survey was one third of the people who said that they had experience in Go said that that was the language they had the most experience in, more than any other language. And, and this kind of, uh, for me, conveyed the idea that Go isn't just a language for people to convert to. It's a language that people are learning programming through, that they're you know, coming to it for the first time, or it's the language they've spent the most, I won't say most time in because we asked expertise, and time isn't a, a very accurate measure of expertise, but it's the language that they felt they had the most uh, knowledge about and they felt the most comfortable using. So I, I think that was really interesting. I, I didn't expect that. And, you know, partly I guess I come in with my own perspective of, you know, I knew a, a good number of languages before Go, but it's interesting that a lot of users consider it their language of most experience. In fact, more users were in that bucket than any other bucket. I'm actually really surprised by that because I probably come in with the same preconceptions that most of us have experiences with other languages. We have years of history with those languages. So it takes a long time for Go our skill in Go to overtake our knowledge in a language we came from. So that's actually really surprising to hear that people are getting more experience and expertise in Go than the languages they came from. Yeah, so I think, you know, it's a bit of a, for me, what I realized was, one, a lot of people are coming from dynamic languages. JavaScript and Python are, are the two biggest languages, that, and there's others in the list, but you know, there, there are definitely some properties of dynamic languages that differ from Go. And, you know, if we look at a lot of the uh, documentation and the experience that the Go project has catered to with its early adopters, it wasn't as much uh, the dynamic languages. And so for me, that was one thing that uh, I learned through this. Uh, the second thing was what we just talked about, that a lot of people are coming to Go for the first time or that their Go experience has eclipsed their experience in other languages. So I think we're about time for our first sponsor break. But after that, I want to chat a little bit about the way people are using Go, because I found some of that stuff interesting too. So our first sponsor for today is Backtrace. Software teams use Backtrace to take the headache and guesswork out of debugging across their environments. Backtrace jumps into action when your Go application fails by capturing detailed application state information, including the complete set of Go routines, channels and their wait durations, and my favorite, scheduler information. Backtrace analyzes this state and archives it in a centralized object store, allowing you to explore interesting patterns across your errors and plug rich error data into your resolution workflows. Backtrace is used by companies like Fastly, which is Changelog's bandwidth partner, Limelight Networks, Message Systems, AppNexus, and more. Head to backtrace.io slash gotime to learn more and start your free trial. 
All right, we are back talking to Steve Francia, and we're talking about the 2016 survey results and kind of some of the stuff that we find interesting there. So before the break, I kind of mentioned the uses of Go. So one of the things that I actually found surprising was that web development actually seemed to overtake systems programming on there because it felt, at least in the early days, that people struggled with how to do web stuff because kind of like we were discussing, a lot of people come from JavaScript and Python and Ruby into Go. So they're used to having things like Django and Rails and things like that. So I actually find it really interesting that web development is kind of the leader in uh, the uses. So I'll, I'll clarify a little bit. Um, the We asked two questions, and, and they're easy to can, um, mix up because they're very related. One was, what what areas do you work in? And in that one, web development was overwhelmingly the number one option. And if, if I think about that, you know, I think I, I work for Google. Is that a web development company? Probably is. That's fair. You know, Google probably checks a lot of these boxes, actually. Um, but the Internet's such a prevalent part of what people do that, you know, it, 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 at first I was surprised by that. But then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, there's a lot of companies that are in web development. And this was one of the uh, questions where you could pick as many answers as you wanted. So, you know, it, it does apply pretty broadly. But the, there's another question of what do you write in Go? And in this one, um, web services, as defined as a service returning HTML, uh, was still over 50% of use cases uh, or, or of, of what people used Go to create. Now, this was another one where the, the total percentages added up far more than 100 because people could choose more than one. But I think it's illustrative that um, there, there's no question people are creating web services with Go and in, in large amounts. Yeah, and even though they don't rank as high on the list, um, other surprising ones that were in there were um, embedded devices, people writing Internet of Things devices using Go. Yeah, I, I you know, it, it was interesting, the spectrum that in the options that we asked, a lot of them were well represented. It, it showed a lot more diversity than, than I expected. Um, you know, and I'll just speak for myself in there. I, I was surprised by the diversity of the different uh, areas that people worked in and, and used Go. Yeah, I, I'm, I've heard of some embedded stuff and security stuff, but I didn't think it was enough to register. I didn't think it would show up. I thought it would kind of be lumped into other. So when you look at these uh, answers in particular, Steve, do you have a feeling that the answers that are more popular are the areas where you want to invest in? Or the opposite, you want to bring up the areas that are less popular. Um, that's that's a good question. I I honestly don't think popularity was a big factor for what we were going to invest in. Um, be, uh, alone, I think it's a combination of looking at where our weaknesses are and comparing that to what the demand is for those things, and trying to pair those together. And, you know, a lot of this post identifies some of our, I'll call them challenges that we have ahead of us. And one of the things that I felt best from this uh, was most of the challenges, the vast majority of the challenges identified were ones that were, I'll call growing pains 
for a new technology that's really emerging into the mainstream. Um, not many of the challenges were really fundamental things. In fact, I would, I would posit that none of them were things that were fundamental to the language or the ecosystem. Um, so it, it gave me a lot of confidence knowing, yes, you know, like everything, we have challenges ahead of us, but to, to meet those challenges, um, it's going to require effort from us and the community to do it, but they're not fundamental things that we can't fix. And, you know, I think if we look at the challenges, many of them would apply across all of those industries or most of those industries. There were not many challenges that we looked at that, you know, applied only to one. And what challenges are these that you're thinking about? For me, uh, from reading through all of this, I, I think we identified a number of challenges. When we asked people what changes would improve Go most, you know, they identified uh, pretty clearly what I think are, are two of our biggest challenges. Uh, one is the lack of generics. I know it's for sometimes we, we feel like it's a broken record, but it's we recognize it's it's a challenge. You know, it's something that uh, the Go team stance hasn't changed. It's, it continues to be that we're looking into a solution there. Package management was the second highest identified change that would improve Go the most. And now we look beyond those, just what would improve Go, and we, we see a, another picture of people's user experience. And, and so when we ask people what's the biggest challenge they face using Go, it, it kind of shed some new light on people's individual challenges. And some of the things that were identified in that were that there's a steeper learning curve. And our documentation and tutorials are uh, lacking. Um, and as we talked about, examples was a big part of that. And there, there's also something that came forward here, which was it's not the easiest thing for users to convey the value of Go to other people, um, particularly to their management. And um, I think there's a lot of things we can do there, but you know, one of the things that I thought of, uh, it, was pretty, it seems pretty obvious, was that there's a lot of companies that are using Go for lots of different things that most people don't have any idea about. And um, I think it would do our whole ecosystem a lot of good to talk to these companies, get them, uh, if they're willing to, um, have them do a case study and post that and in you know a central place uh, i think there's a lot of places where we can point to you know this company is using go and how it transformed them and this other company because of go they were able to reduce their costs and because of go with this other company they were able to deliver a project uh, much faster than they would have with their existing systems so I, I think there's a lot that we can do to kind of just surface some of the great things that go is already doing and that'll help some of these challenges. Is there somewhere like a canonical place for case studies for people who do that? I, I know we commonly see them pop up on Reddit and Hacker News and you know, reduced from 2,000 servers to two and things like that. But I don't think there's a single place that we could point an executive to to show them a bunch of case studies. There isn't that I'm aware of today, but I, I believe that there will be sometime during uh, 2017, or at least I'd like there to be. You know, and, and I think you also point to uh, Go is changing, 
and or I'll say the audience for Go is changing a bit. And if you look at like our web page and the material around it, it hasn't changed in a number of years. It's really catered towards the early adopter. And the early adopter is not our audience anymore. Uh, the early adopters adopted it. And now we're going for the later adopters, the more mainstream adopters, and, and more of the decision makers. Um, so I think there's work to be done on adjusting our messaging to, to match our, the audience of today. And I think case studies is, is part of that. Yeah, I mean, and it's difficult too, even just in the convincing teammates thing, right? Even people who have been in the Go world for a number of years, it's, you know, give me your elevator pitch for why you should use Go. And it's really hard to think of just like a sil silver bullet. It's all the little things kind of combined that make it so great to work with. Yeah, it, you know, there was a, I don't want to misquote our users, but I think what came through from reading all the commentary was people that use Go really love it. Um, like, I, I think it's, it was pretty clear, like, if you try Go, you'll see why. But it's hard to convey that until you try it. And, and I think you articulated well why is it's not like there's two things that we could, well, Go does this, so you should use it. It's really a bunch of little things that come together to really make a great experience. I usually tell people that they have to try it and stick to it for a while so they can get the experience. It doesn't come right away. It's not like you, you write a Hello World little program and you get it. It's like, but there's a struggle in learning or adopting any technology. And you need to, I think uh, Katrina Owen put it really well during her talk. It's like your need for learning it needs to overcome your need to quit. So you have to have a reason to want to learn that so bad that you kind of suffer through what you find to be oddities in the language because it's different than what you're used to for you to get the comfort and the love for the language. So I think it's really hard to just, it's like convincing somebody to use Vim, right? I can tell them like, no, it's great. You're going to be super productive in it. And they're still going to look at me like, yeah, but the learning curve, you know? So, yeah, I think that's well put. And, and there's, you know, there's really two different ways to address that. And if, if we do it right, we'll, we'll address them both. Uh, one is reduce that learning curve, right? Uh, get rid of a lot of the parts that are painful for people. Make it easier to learn. And the second one is um, demonstrate the value that people would receive from learning this. And, um, you know, there's lots of different approaches to doing that. And I think one of them would be highlight or showcase success stories um, using Go. So I, I think if we can approach it from both sides, uh, that's definitely something that we can, uh, we collectively as the Go community uh, can help to improve. I, I definitely know that's something I'm going to be focused on over the next year. So talking about what you're going to be focused on over the next year, can you give us an idea of what's on the pipeline, the order, the priorities? What's the biggest thing for this year? So f for me, my role is, is really going to be focused on the user experience and what it means to be a part of our community and, and supporting that as much as possible. I, I can't give you my full playbook for the year because honestly, I'm, I'm still writing it. I think it's a very evolving thing, um, but uh, I can tell you some of the highlights of it. Um, one, one area we're trying to improve is the ability for people to contribute to the Go project. 
and in additional capacities, not just in programming, but in other capacities. And there's efforts underway to uh, improve that, and and we hope to really increase the number of contributors uh, to the Go project. We're also trying to build more open and inclusive, uh, we'll call them community working groups, where people are in an organized working group and working towards a solution uh, or to address a need in Go. Uh, this is a new, somewhat new territory for Go, and every community needs to figure out how it's going to do this. And that's in the place that we're in. We're, we're trying to figure it out. We're, um, we're going to run a little experiment over the next few months with our first inclusive working group, which you'll, you'll be hearing about pretty soon. And with that, um, we're hoping to be uh, the prototype that we can use more and more. Other things are that I'm working on is trying to, well, first just make sure that all of the events around the world uh, are supported. Um, there's a number of Go conferences, which all of you on the call know about, um, as all of you are, are responsible for at least one of them, actually, and, and so am I. So we're all responsible for at least one of them. Um, and there's, you know, so there's the conferences and then there's meetups all over the world. So we're trying to get a program set up to support those and, and make sure that they have uh, all the things that they need. And then I'm also working pretty hard on the new user experience, what it feels like coming to Go from the very beginning of going to our website to installing Go to going through, uh, you know, whether it's the tour or the documentation, but what it is to, to learn Go. And I, I think that's going to keep me busy for most of the year doing those things. Um, and a lot of these things are somewhat interactive and experimental. We're, we're going to try things and, and do experiments, and some of them are going to work, and we're going to double down on the ones that do. And, and some of them aren't going to work, and we're going to learn why, and we're going to try and continue to evolve our approach. So one of the things you mentioned was actually contributing, and I want to dig into that a little bit. But first, let's take our second sponsor break. Our second sponsor for today is Ultimate Go. Our friends at Arden Labs offer some of the best training classes for Go, web, and data science folks. They've trained over a thousand students from all over the world over the past two years. They offer corporate training in Go, web, and data science taught by Bill Kennedy, Daniel Whitenack, and John Gossett. Bill wrote the Go in Action book, and all three have given talks at conferences and events all over the world. They offer two and three full-day intensive courses that literally take any developer to a whole new level. The classes teach specification, implementation, mechanics, guidelines, and best practices with a lot of personal experience. They also provide a high-energy environment to keep those involved excited and focused throughout the class. Even your most experienced developers will get something out of every class. To learn more, head to ardenlabs.com slash gotime and tell them Eric from Gotime sent you. All right, and we're back talking to Steve Francia. So before we took the sponsor break, we were kind of talking about kind of your goals for this year and stuff. And you had mentioned contribution to the project. And that actually kind of um, was really interesting to see how many people felt that they weren't welcome. And it really took me off guard too, because like I've always thought like the Go community was very welcoming. Did you get anything from maybe the comments about why people might not have felt welcome? Is it just 
it's overwhelming to look at the project and figure out how to contribute or is it is it the community yeah um i i I'll, I'll I'll say what my opinion is about this, and and I don't remember. Um, I I can't speak to if the survey responses because we didn't ask this specific question, like as a free text response. But you know, I I think one of the the things is um, if you you look at the Go team, this is my personal opinion. I, I look at the Go team, and and I see you know Rob Pike and Robert Griesmeyer and. And Ken Thompson and uh, Rad Fitzpatrick and and Russ and Russ Cox and and all these people, Ian Lance Taylor, just just people luminaries who who you know had long careers of, of really successful technologies and and books and it, it's easy to be intimidated and and feel like you can't live up to it or what value could I add to to the the efforts um, and. You know, I, I I was talking to uh, Katrina Owen about this, and, and you know, I, I asked her like, "How do you feel?" And she said, "You know, I feel like as long as I'm uh, one of the smartest people alive, then I'm welcome to contribute." And um, you know, I think that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing her, so I, I'll be clear that, that, that those weren't her exact words, but um, I, I kind of felt the same way. And then I became a member of the Go team, and I thought to myself, "Well, I guess I am smart enough." But I remember feeling that way, you know, before I joined the team, and and I I, I remember you know going through this uh, experience of well, they hired me. I suppose I am smart enough, and you know now I'm starting to make contributions to the project. But I think it is intimidating, and and I think there's also the sense of that they don't need my help, and I want to dispel both of those myths. Um, the first one is we we do need your help. There's a lot of work to be done, and we absolutely do need more people to contribute. We, the project will not be as successful as it should be without your help. To the second one, you, you are smart enough to contribute, and reality is don't be discouraged when people give you feedback that you need to make changes. You know, I've been fortunate to for the last few months to see how the team interacts with each other, and they are constantly giving each other feedback. And it is very normal for people to go through, uh, you know, many revisions of something before they get it right. That's how you learn. That's how you grow. And so, you know, the the team is willing to give that kind of feedback and, and invest in people so they will learn. And you know. It, it's actually, I think, a really great opportunity to be able to to make contributions. And even if you don't feel like you're ready today, uh, this is how you become ready. Like, give it a try, get the feedback, and and try and do your best. And you know, there's also lots of different entry points into the project. Like, I'm I am not qualified to contribute to the compiler or to the linker, and I'm not I'm not gonna. Um, but there's plenty of areas in the project that I do feel. That I can contribute. There's parts of the standard library. There's definitely parts of the website and documentation that I feel like I, I I can contribute to. And so, you know, regardless of your technical experience, there's different areas uh, that you're going to be able to contribute to. And through that, you'll learn the process and you'll get to know the people and and you'll be adding a lot of value. I guess that's a fair observation too. That a lot of people might feel intimidated and embarrassed. You know, when 
uh, their code review comes up the way they do and things. And not everybody perceives the feedback the same way, right? Like some people take it more personally. Other people just see it as, you know, a, a learning opportunity to learn from people who know and understand the language and the project better. Yeah. Uh, this is also one of the few questions where, because we, we were able to segment the data uh, in lots of different ways and try and learn from that. This was one of the few questions where people that were not active Go users, uh, as defined by they didn't select, I use Go uh, at work, or and I use Go not at work, right? So if they didn't select either of those options, this was one of the questions that they actually scored better on. So non-active Go users felt more welcome to the contribute to the project than active Go users. And what conclusions can we draw from that? Uh, I don't think we can draw exact conclusions, but I think we can speculate that it's likely because they they aren't as familiar with the process, right? So, you know, you you always feel welcome until you're closer. And then you recognize that, oh, this is kind of intimidating. Yeah, and I think some of the other stuff too is, you know, there's a lot of quick wins and stuff in the GitHub issues and things. Some of the Garrett stuff can get confusing. But there's a lot, also a lot of formal papers that go back and forth and working documents where people will work on, you know, you, you always see that the big changes come through that way. And a lot of people aren't used to working in that process either. They're used to kind of taking a ticket and kind of uh, working on it as opposed to, you know, collaborating on a big document or specification before kind of digging in. So I wonder if some of that also adds to the intimidation of what's required to be involved. Yeah, so for me, there's been a bit of a culture shift joining Google and joining the Go team because most of my background is startups. And, you know, this is something I'm really um, trying to learn this lesson is uh, the, the Go team really cares about getting things right and doing things the right way. And in startups, you know, there's often pressure to get something now versus something perfect. And, and I won't say that the Go team strives, you know, I, I would say we, we probably do strive for perfection, but, you know, they're, they're trying to do the best job possible. You know, it, it, it is a bit of a shift to think, okay, I, I felt like this is good enough, but they want me to make, you know, four more changes. And, and at the end of the day, for me, I, I'm trying to learn the lesson. This is just making it all better. Right, it makes me look better having contributed something even of higher quality, but but it really is raising the bar from what I'm used to, and um, you know it's it's interesting to get that feedback. I will say when Russ gives feedback on things, I meet with him weekly, and I still step back a little and say, "Whoa, what can I learn from this?" And um, you know, I can't believe I'm actually getting feedback from you know Russ or Rob or, or whoever it is or Ian. But, you know, there, there's definitely part of it is recognize that they're trying to make you or your contributions even better than they are. So it's not about rejecting you or your contributions. It's about helping to make them even better. Yeah, I think that's important to take the feedback constructively, that it's not a personal attack. And, and it's really hard sometimes, you know, and there's occasional time. I remember one of the first contributions I ever tried to make, this is a few years ago, several of the Go team I think we're going back and forth on the ticket with they each had their own theory on how it should work. And finally, I was like, all right, I give up on this because <laughs> it was like volleying back and forth between the two. And, you know, you just take it in stride. You're like, OK, there seems to be, you know, 
a lot of internal discussion on the implementation of this. This probably isn't the right ticket. And I just kind of moved on to another one. But a lot of people will take that personally that, you know, it's lost time and this, that, and the other. And it's difficult. It's also like this is an observation I've made over the last few months. If there's not a right answer that emerges, the GO team leadership is, is not against postponing it until there is one. So that the need to have something versus the need to have the right thing is, again, this for me is a bit of a culture shift. You know, there's a lot of things where they say, it'd be nice to have this, but we don't really know the right way to do it yet. We're going to continue to think about it, but we're, we're okay with waiting until we have the right answer. You know, and I think that's one of the things when we talk about like the little things that are a part of the language and just the way the team and the community operates. I think that that's one of the things we can appreciate because Go doesn't have a lot of baggage and weird quirks because of these things that were just kind of brushed in. And now, you know, there's tons of code in the wild that requires it so it can't be removed or fixed. <clears throat> JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's been really enlightening to me to see. So I'll say one of the real privileges of, of my job is uh, to participate in our weekly proposal review meeting and to see the thought and, and care that goes into every single proposal, which anyone can make. Anyone can make a proposal as an issue on GitHub. And every single week, or every, almost every single week, you've got the Go project leadership reviews that and, and takes time and, and thought and, and talks about every single one. And just to see the care and, and attention that goes into every one of these ideas that are proposed has it, been just a real treat for me. And Johnny, were you about to say something? <laughs> no, I was uh, taking a jab at JavaScript when you said rushing things out and paying for the consequences later. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, to your point, uh, Steve, I think um, there's also, it's hard to sort of interpret like tone, right? And when you're getting the feedback, usually... I mean, just today I was watching, you know, some feedback between Matt Aminetti, a well-known member of the community, uh, making a suggestion, you know, for GoVet to sort of uh, raise a flag when, you know, you don't have enough members sort of, uh, um, for, for your SQL when you're reading information back uh, and assigning it to, to some sort of structure, whatever it is, when you don't have enough of those values. So basically he's raising that as a, hey, it would be nice if GoVet could sort of flag that, right? Um, and then sort of the Go team members sort of were chiming in, going back and forth. Although it was very cordial, but the back and forth was sort of very to the point. There was no sugarcoating. There was no, it was, it was all about sort of the technical details or implications of taking on such a feature. The things that perhaps Matt didn't know about, that the Go team knows about. It was a very quick back and forth. There was no, from the outside looking in, you're thinking, wow, are, are, is the Go team like mad at him for making these suggestions? But, you know, I'm pretty sure that's not how they're seeing it. It's, it's really just about giving you the raw technical impact of that feedback, that raw feedback, right? There was no sugarcoating about it. And I think that's something that can be very intimidating for somebody who's not used to working that way, where you might be working in an environment where, you know, people had to sort of use a lot of buffer words, you know, to sort of make you read in between the lines kind of thing. It's really not that way at all when interacting with the Go team, I've found. I think that when people are very busy, as the Go team, I'm sure is, that they, they skip a lot of the pleasantries. And, uh, you know, the Go team's responses are very succinct and matter-of-fact, right? And uh -huh. people read, read it the way they, they mean to read it. So if you come into the process feeling intimidated and then you get a very succinct answer, 
you feel like you're being shrugged off because you know they're they're validating your fear of not being worthy type of ordeal whereas people who are regular contributors are just used to the it's just a quick response so they don't really read too much into it yeah i i think you've said it well too is i think and this is something that i know the go team is actually working on the fact is is people are taking a step of courage to propose something or to to send a patch and they have a, a lot of emotion sometimes riding on that. And uh, when you have someone who you admire, you know, I, I, I will say shoot you down, even though that's not what's happening. That's the way it sometimes feels. You definitely react differently. And, and I know as a team, we've been working on uh, how to communicate in a way that's encouraging. And, you know, it's something where it's a work in progress. But I've, I've seen in, in my six, seven months here, I've seen uh, improvement of that, that people are not just saying no, but saying either here's why no, or here's what we need for this to go further, you know, sort of give them a kind of a, a path forward rather than just a, a wall. And I think that's a big thing for us, the Go team's learning, is that people take our words with a lot more weight than sometimes we realize. And, you know, we're trying to, to be better about uh, understanding people's uh, feelings, you know, and, and that's something we're working on. But I, I will say the team itself uh, cares deeply about their users and community um, and, and each other. Uh, I've honestly uh, never been part of a team uh, that really supported each other as well as this team. And, um, you know, I, I see the way that we talk about the community and, and the amount of time and attention we spend on the users, and you know, it's remarkable to me that come that comes across being on the team of how much they really do care and and value each user and contributor, even if sometimes in in their messaging it it, it doesn't come across. I think even outside community involvement helps too, right? Most in the same respect that like team building exercises help, you know, with coworkers, right? You. You interact with people in a different forum and you learn that they're people and things like that. And then your, your interactions with them in the work environment are perceived differently. So like I know coming from me personally, getting to see and watch the Go team interact with people at conferences really shows how much they, they care about what people are using the language for and that you know, it's meeting their needs and things like that. So when you see those succinct or matter of fact responses, you don't really think about it much because you've seen them as a person. And people new to the community and things like that may only see them, you know, for the prestige of the things that they've done and their current roles. So when they see that response, it carries more weight, like you said. It's also the case that, you know, um, the team itself knows each other pretty well. And some of the more active contributors, I think you always need to be reminded of, you know, a lot of our conversations and dialogue are done completely open and transparent, I the vast majority of it. And even if we know each other well, we can be short with each other. But lots of people are reading that that don't know our relationship already. And so sometimes we need to be reminded that even if we have a good relationship and we're interacting back and forth, there's still a need to be mindful of the people who see that and aren't aware, right? Or don't know us already. So I know you're a pretty busy guy and I think we're about out of time. 
I think we have a couple of minutes, though, if everybody wants to do free software Friday. I actually don't have one today. How about you, Johnny? You want to give a shout out to a project or a maintainer? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, go Buffalo. I've been uh, I've been sort of playing around with it to sort of um, stand up a project that I've taken on. Um, and I was quite surprised how easy it was to sort of uh, get going. I mean, obviously, beyond reading just the introductory uh, stuff on, on, on the main page, I think it's gobuffalo.io. It's it's was really quite easy to get going. So kudos to uh, Mark Bates, uh, the lead um, contributor to that. Um, yeah, kudos to a very good job. Um, I'm looking forward to contributing something back to that. How about you, Steve? Did you want to give a shout out to anybody? Um, yeah. So for me, the one project that I use more than any other project is Fatih's uh, Vimgo project. And you know, I, I've been a longtime user of Vim, and and you know, one of my projects that's been popular for a while is my Vim distribution, which is really just my own personal Vim configuration that happens to be adopted by tens of thousands of people. Um, and that's really what happened. I'm not being short when I say that. Um, it wasn't intended to be a project. It was just my Vim configuration. Um, but to see what Fatih has done with the, the Go integration is just phenomenal. And uh, the amount of time and effort that he puts into it, uh, it really benefits uh, my, me a lot. And as the survey uh, demonstrated, uh, a lot of our users, uh, I was shocked to see how many users uh, were Vim users in, in Go. Yeah, I think it was Vim and VS Code that were kind of topping everybody out. Well, Vim was overwhelmingly the most used, and VS Code it was, for me, shockingly the second most, given how young it is. But it, it just barely edged out um, Over Adam. Uh, IntelliJ and Atom and Sublime. Okay, so, so Vim Go kind of like far surpassed number two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Fatih's work on that has just been tremendous. That's, you know, I, I use it as well. And uh, he's got a, a Patreon set up too for anybody who uses that. We all love to show support to people who, who work on these projects and give up their free time. So one that I actually only recently started using, which is really cool, is I, I guess it's called uh, USQL for Universal SQL. Um, and it's a written in Go. And uh, it allows you to talk to SQLite, uh, Microsoft SQL Server, MySQL, Postgres, all using kind of the same command line tool. And one of the cool things that I liked about it was there's future plans for things like Cassandra, and CockroachDB, and things like that. So I thought that that was really cool. I'm always struggling to find database tools. I like, I like consistency. I, I haven't even learned like a new command line tool to interact with each database type. All right. So with that, I want to thank everybody for being on the show. Huge thank you to you, Steve, for coming on the show and talking with us today. Happy to do it. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, thank you to all the listeners who are listening live and will be listening to this. Huge shout out to our sponsors, Backtrace and Ultimate Go. Forward this to anybody you know who might like to listen to our weekly podcast. We are FM on Twitter github.com slash gotimefm slash ping if you want to be on the show or have suggestions for topics or guests. And with that, goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. All right, that wraps up this episode of GoTime. Tune in live on Thursdays at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. 
Join the community and Slack with us in real time. Head to changelog.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at GoTimeFM. Special thanks to our sponsors, Backtrace and Ultimate Go. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. This episode was edited by Jonathan Youngblood. And the theme music for GoTime is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>